Hello and welcome to the Monday podcast from allthingsgerman.net and ponsionsprachschule.de. Hello. With us today in the park is Paul Schubottom from Frankfurt International School. Hello. Good afternoon. Nice to be here. On a beautiful sunny day. It yes. is. It is a nice sunny day. It's strange for Monday. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we've had some different experience in the past. <laughs> so. So, Paul, you work where? Um, just up the road in Frankfurt International School. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an ESL teacher there, and um, I just celebrated last year the end of my 20th year, for which I received a nice plaque and uh, oh. a small sum of, of bonus money. Okay, and flowers, so, and I yeah. mean, the, the little speech and yeah, all that. No? Well, when you started working here, did you ever think you would be here for 20 years? I mean, like with what kind of idea? Did you, where, where do you come from? Um, I'm a Londoner. A Londoner, a Londoner okay. And... Um, uh, in fact, before I worked as a teacher, before I trained as a teacher, I'd spent about 10 years working in London as a civil servant mm-hmm. in the Department of the Environment. But after a while, that uh, that was becoming ever more boring, and I decided that I would retrain as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And so that was in 1981. Um, and German was the subject that I was most interested in teaching, along with, with French and PE, mm-hmm. so I, I went to Exeter University to, to um, get my PGCE in those three subjects. Um, then got my first job in a school in Bedford, mm-hmm. uh, where I taught those three subjects. Um, but then the opportunity arose, I, I actually met my wife, who also teaches at the school now, mm-hmm. a maths teacher. Uh, I met her at the college at Exeter on the PGCE course. And... Um, She's a math teacher, and for some reason she, she happened to see this advertisement from Frankfurt International School who was looking for, were looking for math teachers at the time, and she applied, and I thought, well, if she gets the job, I can go along and, and mm-hmm. hopefully then later get a job at the school, or right. I can do other things. So she was successful, got the job, and I came along with her and uh, spent the first six months working at in, in Lingua which mm-hmm. is in Kaiserstrasse. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's one of two interesting things I can tell you about that uh, <laughs> experience, but um, maybe we can do that later. But anyway, after um, six months of working there, the school had a vacancy for a German teacher, so I, I applied for that and uh, replaced someone who was on sick leave. Um, and then at the end of that school year, somebody left who was ESL teacher, so I kind of took one half of her job and mm-hmm. um, since then in the 20 years I've been mostly ESL recently but also the occasional class of German oh, I've yeah. taught. So you started off as a German teacher, yeah. I didn't realize that, I, I mean yeah. I only know Paul Schubottom ESL, you know, ESL yeah. department, yeah. Well in fact it's strange, um, <clears throat> I, I speak rather less German now here in Germany than I did in England. In, in England when I was teaching German I was talking German all day right. in, in class. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Here, of course, I'm speaking English in, in true, class yeah. and then, uh, then at home also. So it's rather strange that in some respects my my spoken German has, has not developed or so, uh, not to the point where I, I feel completely fluent or comfortable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you've been maybe neglecting it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, but in terms of, of written or, or reading, mm-hmm. writing, that's obviously developed in the time I've right, been here. Right. But it's a bit of a strange language profile that I have now. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. And uh, since then you have also become department head. When was that? Um, well, 
when I started, we had two distinct upper schools. We had the middle school mm -hmm. and the high school. And now we call ourselves the upper school, so the two schools have joined. So for a long time, I was working exclusively in the middle school. That's grade six to eight. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember when, but <clears throat> I don't know, about 10 or 12 years ago, I, I became coordinator of the middle school. And then the two, two schools joined, and um, on and off I've been coordinator of the, the whole of the upper school, that's grade 6 to 12, but uh, um, I've had one or two breaks and um, not been coordinator all that time. Mm -hmm. Currently I'm, I'm one third coordinator, sharing okay. the responsibility with two colleagues. Okay, right, and uh, what are some of the challenges of the ESL department as far as, you know, students are concerned? Is there always something new coming in as well? I mean, there's always... I think um, ESL is different from, from most subjects in that... Um, well, there, there are many differences. Obviously, one of the differences is, is our class sizes. We have smaller classes, and mm -hmm. um, quite often we're dealing with classes of four or five, whereas our colleagues are experiencing classes of 20, 22. Right. Um, but surprisingly, it's certainly not the case that the smaller the class, the easier it is. In fact, it's almost the opposite. Hmm. Uh, last year, I had a class of three grade six students, mm -hmm. um, two German boys and a, a Japanese boy. And that was a, an extremely demanding class huh. uh, in that they, they were all very keen and eager and very quick. And I, I could have spent an hour at home preparing a lesson, oh, and then after five minutes I say, finished. Oh gosh, it would be done <laughs> so, so quickly. Yeah, and, and they had to be occupied. They, mm -hmm. they, their students, um, typically grade six are like that anyway, mm -hmm. they, they want true. to be occupied, they want to be entertained in a sense, they want to have different challenges through the lesson. They're not a class, that, that kind of group is not a class that can be set to get on with something mm -hmm. and free the teacher up to go around and work with individuals. They, they wanted attention the whole time. And I found that kind of situation a lot more demanding and, and stressful even mm -hmm. um, than when I was teaching German in England to, to quite massive classes. In fact, I remember one year in my first year of teaching, I had a class of 40 for a few months yeah. at the beginning of the mm, Sounds like year. a class of baby boomers. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, because back in my yeah. days, we had 40 kids in a class in Germany. But yeah. It, it was different because I, I had my pair work, I had this, this textbook that I was mm. working with and I was expected to work with and it was very kind of structured and, mm -hmm. and um, it was a situation that, that was clear-cut, was manageable uh, and predictable. But with ESL classes it's much more unpredictable because That's each true. year you have a different conglomeration or configuration of, mm -hmm. of students in the class different nationalities, mm -hmm. even at, at a, an ESL 1 level, which is a beginner's level, you might have, from year to year, you might have students of, of kind of different standards, so you, you cannot predict anything from year to year about right. how you'll be teaching, and um, I find that that's a bit of a challenge, that's, that's what makes it different from, from say, teaching mm -hmm. mainstream English, regular English or mathematics, mm -hmm. unpredictability, right. and obviously the students... I think this is a very, very important feature of um, ESL class that the students themselves kind of lose their voice, lose their personality when they go to a different class, a sitting math class. I mean, they, they, they have no voice really in a sense that they, they can't respond to the teacher's questions. They maybe don't even understand the, yeah, the that's question. Often the case, yeah. and they maybe feel themselves to be a little bit stupid even. Um, their personalities are submerged 
when they come to ESL class, it's their one chance in the day mm -hmm. to be themselves, and they want to right. you know, expand or, <laughs> right. or to to, um, to show their personalities, and that that makes for a, a lively class, but but a kind of stressful class mm. when, when you have several of those kind of groups one after the other. So in that sense, it's a different, entirely different kind of stress than a, mm -hmm. a big class, but it's it's equally demanding in a sense. Mm. Um, and obviously the, the students are, are much more dependent on your help <clears throat> than in math class or, or English class. And obviously a student in math class who doesn't know very much math mm -hmm. wants the teacher to help, but the ESL students, they really depend on their ESL teacher to, to help them with all their work, not only to teach them English, but to help them with their math homework or right. they, they had something science that they didn't understand, so they want help with that. And it's this unpredictability from lesson to lesson, what kind of help they'll need, mm -hmm. that, that makes for a, quite a different teaching assignment. Right. Now sometimes, I mean, Germans might be confused, you know, about the terms ESL versus EFL, mm -hmm. English as a foreign language. So, yeah. and I try to explain it to them. Can you give us a good explanation? What's the difference? Well, the S and the L are second language and foreign language. Uh, in, in our school, we have students in an ESL situation, second language situation, which is basically all of their exposure, all of their, their school time is in their second language. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, they have English, they have their, their ESL class, but they also have mathematics, science. Mm -hmm. <coughs> P, everything is in, in English, mm -hmm. so they're exposed to English for the, the whole of the school day. What about the curriculum? I mean, in the German schools, EFL, you have maybe, you know, one period a day yeah. of English, whereas at, in the national schools, you do probably have more than five periods a week in ESL for beginners. We, yeah, we have um, different levels of ESL. I mean, to return to the mm -hmm. the difference, the, the EFL, as you just said, is a, is a one language, one lesson of English in a day which is otherwise yeah. of German. Right. That, that's the difference. And I think in, in EFL situations, typically the kind of teaching is more geared to a kind of general English, particularly um, the grammar mm -hmm. language, situational English, how to cope in a foreign city, mm -hmm. asking away. That kind of, of curriculum content is quite different from ESL, where we're really our primary task is to teach the students the English that they need, I mean obviously socially that they need to, mm. to feel comfortable and happy at our school, to make friends at our school, uh, and then academically, the kind right. of academic English they need to be successful in their other subjects. So we're not teaching English as a subject in itself, because we already have English class. Right. Um, we're teaching English so that they can, uh, they can, they can function successfully independently mm -hmm. in the mainstream. In fact, our, our main goal as an ESL teacher is to, to remove them from our classes as quickly as possible, oh, yeah, because right. as soon as they leave us, they in know that out. they have, yeah, 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 right. you have, done, have your job. done our job. Yeah. Well, what do you think, I mean, on a, let's say, on an emotional level, or, you know, socially getting accustomed to the new environment, how long do you think it takes an ESL student to, you know, feel at ease? I always think it's about six to nine months. Do you agree? I mean, and... So, um, not to get lost around the building anymore, have your first friends, and... Uh, it, it, really, it really depends on a lot of factors. Mm -hmm. um, some students do need a long time, some students don't need any time whatsoever. I think if they, <coughs> they come into a community where, 
like the Korean community where mm-hmm. there are Korean families and they've got Korean friends in school and they're, they're getting a lot of support from their ESL teacher and they're beginning to experience some some success it doesn't need to take very long that's true um, but on the other hand it can be very a very serious problem uh, I remember in particular uh, an Italian boy about five or six years ago mm-hmm. who, who literally had to be dragged into the school his parents mm-hmm. his father was, was pulling him into the school and he was he hmm. was uh, very distraught, crying, and right. <coughs> he was in my ESL beginners class, of course, and um, basically he, he was very unhappy to be in Germany, he didn't want to be in the school, um, and he refused to speak, and this, this feature of the silent period is, is quite a, a well-attested period, but uh, it was pretty extreme with him for about seven or eight months, mm-hmm. certainly until mm-hmm. way into the second term. He, he didn't want to speak, but he was becoming more and more comfortable in all that time. Right. Um, but he still wasn't prepared to say a, a word of English. Fortunately, mm-hmm. he had a little bit of German, so I was able to uh, communicate with him in German, which he was quite happy to do. But um, it, was a, it was a very good indication to me of the power of um, what Krushen, Professor Krushen calls comprehensible input. As, as kind of the key to language acquisition. But, mm-hmm. but all the time that he was in school, although he wasn't speaking, um, he was listening right. to, to English, he was listening to language which was comprehensible, was made comprehensible to him. And then when he decided that he was ready to speak, uh, which was about in February or March of that school year, mm-hmm. um, his English was... was almost fluent and in fact he, he very soon was able to leave here so mm. so this initial period of, of really refusal refusal yeah. and then then acceptance but still a refusal mm. to speak and mm-hmm. uh, kind of uh, what's the word an awareness uh, uh, acceptance and a, the word is failing me but this um let me think <clears throat> Anyway, you get the picture. This uh, right. readiness to, to listen mm-hmm. and be, be acceptable of, of the input that he was getting was sufficient for him to have learned to speak even though he wasn't actually speaking. Mm-hmm. So his, his ability to speak was not dependent on practicing speaking but on his listening. Right. That was a very clear lesson to me that what, um, what I'd read, uh, you know, the importance of comprehensible input was, uh, mm. was in fact... Correct. So was then he was mm. a first timer. I mean, when I say first timer, it was the first time that he had to leave his home country. Because I yes. would think, I mean, with other students that I've talked, people who have moved around the world, or this is the third international school, they have almost no, you know, period of uh, mourning or, I mean, or very little. I mean, they, of course they leave their friends behind, mm. but they're just yeah. much quicker than first timers. Yeah, it's. it's not possible to to say that any particular nationality has more or less mm. problems. And last year uh, there were some two Swedish students who had difficulties in in adjusting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes it's Korean, sometimes Japanese. So right. it's, in terms of nationalities, it mm-hmm. it's variable. Uh, as you say, I think it depends on the situation from which they've come and uh, the family situation. Mm-hmm the kind of neighborhood in which they, <coughs> they're living. Yeah, the networking factors, and yeah. friends and all that, yeah. And obviously their, <coughs> their initial experiences, that's why the first few days are quite important for these students. So mm-hmm. 
Do you still have in. that buddy system too? Like, where, you know, the first day people are looking for the toilet and somebody's yeah. assigned a buddy. We, do that. we generally do that for the younger students, oh, okay. sixth graders, but not necessarily for the older ones. Mm-hmm. <coughs> but it's important, particularly for ESL students, that their schedule is, is set and that um, their teachers are welcoming mm-hmm. and um, that things don't change. The, the problem sometimes is that the schedule um, needs to change after mm-hmm. a week or so and then everything is different, new teachers, and they have to start again. That's not very Not very good for newbies here, right. They need a bit of stability and security and this is the way it's going to be and, yeah. But I have to say, I mean, we're, we're used to that in our schools, obviously, in international right. school. <laughs> if we, we have to be ready to accept students who have no English or very little English, and mm-hmm. we, I think we, we do a good job with them. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. So, and then, well, when you did move here, did you come here with the intention of maybe staying or going back? Or, I mean, what made you stay here um, then for 20-some yeah. um, years? Well, I think... Partly it was housing. We we obviously had rented a, uh, an apartment just here in Rosengetchen. Oh, so you have lived here in the area before. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I didn't realize that, yeah. <coughs> um, and then we, we moved out to Orbenheim, mm-hmm. out in the Thomas. Uh, but in, in England, it's it's much more of the, the mentality that you want to have your own home. It's, renting is, is really a, 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 not a an attractive option for most people. They want to have their own home and they expect them to sell it and move and maybe move 10 or or 12 times in their life, you know, Mm -hmm. ever upwards and it's quite a different mentality here. I think Mm. most people build, buy and build and build and buy for for life. Yeah, Yeah. that's more of a German thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we we were still stuck in in the English mentality and we were having some problems with our tenants in England who were causing us some difficulties and it was all becoming too difficult to try and keep on our house in England and mm-hmm. so down. So we sold it. We, we were quite lucky that we sold it at a, quite a, a good time in terms of inflation of prices. Mm-hmm. So we had a little bit of money and we thought, well, let's buy mm-hmm. and um, if we then need to sell, well, okay, we haven't lost out. Right. And um, so we, we bought plot of land up at the top of the hill in Oberreifenberg and yeah um, <laughs> here we are still I mean certainly I think this is a very pleasant place to live mm-hmm. it's a very attractive area I love this forest this forest is fantastic to, to ride your bike in and mm-hmm. to walk in and um, we live kind of like in a very beautiful rural area but in in 30 minutes we're in the center of Frankfurt it's mm-hmm. really shocking it's really an ideal combination and in the winter being high up it's like 600 meters <coughs> we have snow pretty much guaranteed every every winter and mm-hmm. and really it's it's perfect in terms of location I, and I also like Germany in terms of, of the country itself it, it seems like a very decent civilized country somehow. Um, You're really talking about us. I'm I'm telling you what I I believe and feel. I mean, I've experienced this area and the people here, Mm -hmm. and uh, I can imagine there are some some places in Germany which may be comparable to some of the the more unpleasant places in England, uh, and maybe my my feelings about England are slightly colored from, from 
what I read in the newspaper, which is really where I'm getting my information now, mm-hmm. nowadays. Oh, and obviously, yeah. newspapers mm-hmm. tend to concentrate on, <laughs> yeah. on the negative. And, but um, anyway, let's leave the comparisons out of it. I mean, just as I said, Germany mm. is, a, is, a, is a decent country, it's a nice place to live, a good place to bring up children. And this particular area is just perfect. Yeah, even where we're sitting, I mean, mm, where yeah. we're living, I mean, just, yeah. Couldn't get any better. Well, we've got plenty of playgrounds. Yep. Kindergarten. So, Graham, if you want to have more kids. <laughs> <laughs> then I need a bigger flat. <laughs> you will get one too. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> Can you think I just thought of the word that I wanted. Receptivity. Receptivity. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, knew, I knew it would come. But it I was on the tip what, of your tongue. I can't remember what the question was, but then what? <laughs> that's the answer. Okay. <laughs> a couple of incidents in school, which I think are quite amusing, which I like to relate. Um, mm-hmm. Talking to my, my colleague, I'll, I'll just name him by his first name, John, science teacher. Uh, <laughs> I remember it was my first year in in school. We, we were down in Marchstrasse, which was, was a kind of temporary building to accommodate the middle school at that time. <clears throat> and um, I walked went into school early one morning and I saw John walking into the teacher's room, faculty lounge, with a, a tray full of frozen sheep's eyes. Um, full of frozen, frozen sheep's, sheep's eyes. eyes. Um, okay, then I heard it his, right. Yeah, um, okay. His assistant, they, they have lab technicians, um, mm-hmm. his assistant apparently had forgotten to take them out of the freezer <laughs> the, the evening before so they could thaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was planning to use these sheep's eyes in, in an experiment with his class first <laughs> lesson. So, of course, you can't use frozen sheep's eyes. He needed to have them thawed. So he thought the best way to do this would be to, to put them in hot water. So he went to the sink where the teachers get their water for their coffee. And, <laughs> and uh, this is early. There was nobody there, just me and him. Um, so he put the sheep's eyes into the, into the sink there and ran the hot water on them. And um, they, they kind of slowly thawed and it was all, all the water was getting bloody. At that moment, <clears throat> the principal um, called him. <clears throat> opened the, the door of the, the teacher's room and called him into his office so he left and said I'll be back in a second but <laughs> in, in between him doing that and his return um, the English teacher mm-hmm. an American lady of, of rather sensitive disposition mm-hmm. uh, had come into the, t- <laughs> to the teacher's room and, and gone to fill up her, her coffee <laughs> and seen the sink full of these bobbing sheep's eyes <laughs> in this kind of bloody broth it was <laughs> oh shit <laughs> That's great. So that's one of the things I remember. And um, so we were talking earlier about the... the um, in Lingua? In Lingua, yeah. Um, no, I, I won't mention that. It was, it was, uh, it was not a place for my, my wife to be waiting for me on the street corner, put mm-hmm. it that way. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, then um, the yeah. uh, Which is what we didn't know when, she, when we first arrived okay. there. So she was standing there and um, <laughs> realised after very quickly, this is not a place to stand. They did not uh, ask her for math lessons. No. no. <laughs> But um, talking of, of German, there's an interesting incident happened the other day. One one thing that I just cannot get about German is when to say du and when to say, say sie. I, I still can't get it. I don't know if Germans know it, but I, I certainly don't. Anyway, we, we have a number of Hausmeister in our school, and um, one of them I played football with a, a few years ago, and of course at the time he, he and I were on the same football team we used to dutzen but mm-hmm. uh, now he's kind of like raised his higher in status oh, okay. and uh, we have not been friends or buddies for a long time I'm not sure 
how to address him, whether it should be do or z. So, anyway, there. <clears throat> you know what Germans do ask? Sometimes when I haven't seen somebody in a while, and I know we're kind of like on a friendly basis, then I, I might just say, waren wir per du oder per si? Ah, that's, that's, that's you know? the and, Yeah. 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 Well, don't do what I do, or what, what did, I did. What I mean, did you I, do? I, I saw him walking past my classroom, and I, I just... Um, had a problem with my computer and I needed to open the computer and I, I needed a screwdriver. Now, uh, I know the word for screwdriver, but somehow I'd forgotten it. Mm. And so I saw he had one in his back pocket. Right. So I, said, so I went, went over and said, well, I wanted to say Kanstu yeah. or Kunzi, but I wasn't sure what. Mm -hmm. So I, I had to kind of quickly change it into the passive. Right. So I said, Kann mir das gegeben werden? Oh, yes. And, so um, <laughs> yeah, like, like, <laughs> and I pointed there. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> he hadn't a clue what I meant. So, <laughs> uh, I was going to take it out, and then he realized, and, and um, handed it over and said, Bitte schön. Yeah, you um, were trying to be extra polite yeah. with the passive form, yes. <laughs> and then uh, and he gave it to me, and then he walked away and said, give it back to me later. And, and then after that, I realized that I still didn't know where I was on do or see with him. <laughs> well, you know... When, when my husband came to Germany, the only German that he learned was, you know, acquiring German with, you know, my friends and family. So he duzed everybody. And the first mm. time we moved to Germany from Japan in 1995, of course, he kept duzing everybody. Mm. I mean, the bus driver, <laughs> anybody. Yeah. And it used to embarrass me yeah. at first. I said, no, John, you have to use C, C, Well, then tell me, when do I use that, you know? And so we had a few if, talks. If in doubt, you see. <laughs> Well, that's, I even told him, you know, the conjugation for C is much easier, you know, just the infinitive and throw yeah, a C yeah, and then kommen Sie bitte, true, machen Sie bitte. But when you've got a, like, there's a, in the street, there's a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old, you know, yeah, then, uh, then, uh, yeah, uh, then I try to either A, avoid it, or I, you yeah. know, try to see how they would, um, yeah, maybe avoid it, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's always been a problem. But of course, in Korean, there's about 15 different words you've got to use according to your respect. But then again, when you're speaking with them in English, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you've got the 15 or 16-year-olds on a playground, which I've had, mm -hmm. or I thought they were, um, I dupe them because I want to annoy them anyway. Because right. the playground's for up to 12-year-olds or something. So. Yeah, well, then everybody could just walk up here and do this too. No, I mean, no. No, I know, not I know sitting you. Sitting on here, I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> yeah, right, I know. playing almost destru destroying yeah. something, you know, and I'm sort of like, you know, my daughter's playing on it as well, and I right. want to get them off, and so I'm not going to start zeeting them and giving them sort of any of yeah, respect, because I want to yeah. get them off the machine, you know. Right, right. Well, I guess you have to use your better judgment on that, you know? On the yeah, it's you're using your, your um, knowledge of German as a kind of weapon there. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had... You can't do that in English, I've it's had, just you. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, had, um, I've had one situation on a playground where there was actually someone looking after them, playground mm. as well, going to where it was, um, and some kids came and the um, guy looking after it was, I don't know, foreign mm -hmm. uh, person, and so they started talking to him in a very um, broken English to sort of wind him up so he's you know he got broken German his English probably non-existent so they started winding him up in this English to sort of you know he wasn't going to get them off this sort of mm. thing so I uh, had a right go in fluent English and uh, said that when their English was up to my standard then <laughs> they can start talking to me in it but until right. then we're going to stay in German and mm. then I can have a right go but uh, yeah mm. or oh, I've had the situation in the mm. Hauptwacher in Frankfurt where I've been on the phone I've used sort of public call phone a um, long time ago <laughs> And I've had, people have heard me talking in English. There were some kids they heard me in English. Mm. And 
they started talking behind my back in German, thinking I couldn't understand them. And well, of course, of, they assumed you know, they, I mean, yeah. they sort mm-hmm. of talk about me, and you know, and then sort of trying to get me off the phone, sort of you know, t- sort of whispering over my shoulder, shouting over my shoulder, you know, get finished and stuff, thinking I didn't understand. So mm. I sort of hung up mm. the call and had a. I got very loud. I probably heard me in the whole help uh, in German back to them, mm. and they got a bit of a shock that somebody <laughs> had actually stood understood everything they'd said, and uh, what by now it happened. Well, they so, learned their lesson, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that sometimes happens to me too. I talk to my husband in English, then Germans assume that he doesn't speak any German. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you can only basically speak okay. one language. It I mean, ha- happens to me on Saturday and It happens a lot of times. <laughs> and I say, no, no, he, he speaks German, then basically why do you speak English? Well, we have to have a house language that we speak in front of the kids. And, yeah. and then if you try to explain it, it's not really worth it. But uh, it's just, you know, we settle on one language, so and that's I, English. I spoke to someone on, no, sorry, I was speaking to my daughter on Saturday in Lidl. And someone came up and started in very broken English, wanted to mm. tell me something. So I asked him German. Oh, he's like, and it was a case of, I'm making this big effort, and you answer in German. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, I gave him a card yeah. for the podcast, so maybe he's listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes it could be a useful thing. I mean, how would they know that we know more? Yeah. I mean, it's not written on our forehead, you know, how many languages we speak. Or, <laughs> but uh, sometimes, I guess, in your situation, or my husband's situation, or your situation, it could be annoying if people always switch or assuming that you don't speak German. Yeah. Mm. I've got a pin actually. I've got an English German pin, mm-hmm. which was for doing on trade fairs and stuff, so you could actually show which languages you speak. And people wear these pins with their individual flags on, so that mm. when you went up to someone, you could <coughs> see immediately yeah. what yeah. languages they <laughs> yeah, speak. Yeah. yeah, because it's sometimes hard to you know, fish around, like, you know, you ask somebody, like, what language should we use? Yeah, we, we had someone once on the reception who, who had sort of five flags on her. Everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'd have quite a few students at our school who, you know, who yeah. five, six, seven They could really decorate their yeah. own shirt with that, yeah. <laughs> okay, well. Okay, then thank you for coming and talk to us today. We've my got, pleasure. Got something for you. Oh. Oh, it hasn't, it hasn't got round. It hasn't got round? No, it hasn't got round the school yet. What people... <laughs> Oh, that's so many people. I mean, um, the news. I thought the news hasn't got round, oh, but we're going to give you a Monday yeah, podcast yeah, special guest oh. coffee mug. I'm sure you can break some in the kitchen once in a while, especially when you see sheep's eyes floating in the sink. (laughs) (laughs) I dropped a melon on my favourite cup that I brought back from Switzerland at an ESL conference a couple of years ago. One of these big bowl ones. I like to have a huge cup of tea and that's perfect. I don't have to keep going back to the teapot. Right. And I was carrying a melon and it kind of fell through my hands and dropped on this cup and split it into about 20 pieces. (laughs) So that's good. I think I will contact the science teacher. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yes. <laughs> and I will ask him about it. Well, we traveled to China oh, two years right. ago, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And maybe some ESL students will want to listen mm-hmm. to the podcast. Yeah, maybe that too. I will um, ensure that there there is a link to it from my website. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll okay. put the link back. So if you're listening and you want to visit Paul's website, we'll put a link on themondaypodcast.com. And obviously on themondaypodcast.com forward slash form. There's a link to our form, so if you've got questions, then place them there, and, mm-hmm. and hopefully you'll join and answer them. I'd be most happy to do so. Okay, we'll be back next week with another podcast. Sounds good. Be back then. Bye. 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 This was the Monday podcast from allthingsgerman.net and pensionsprachschule.de. For more information, visit www.themondaypodcast.com. 
Responsible for the content, Graham Tappenden and Maria Shipley, 61440, Oberursel, Germany.